Welcome to the Sports Card Lessons Podcast with your host, Big Ken, a retired teacher bringing you lessons each week he's learned in the hobby by taking you behind the table and inside the mind of a dealer and a collector. Sit back and relax. There won't be a test. The only thing being graded here is the cards. Welcome to the Sports Card Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Big Ken. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on a streaming service, please like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. You'll be notified whenever I drop any new content. Welcome, and thanks for being here. Day one of being home after the national, I got a good night's sleep. I had a little bit more uh, refreshed, a little bit more energy. Uh, Don't have that voice back yet, but it's getting there. It'll get there. Um, this is part two of the 2023 national recap. So if you missed part one, go back and watch part two, part one, and then come back here and listen to, uh, listen to part two. Uh, first off, apologies, apologies. Yesterday, uh, I did the whole episode referring to women of the hobby and it is women in the hobby my apologies so it i can't i couldn't go back and change it so i'm just going to apologize uh and 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 take that one on the chin i really apologize for that uh, i realized at the end when i was done i went back looking at my notes and i realized i was saying it wrong throughout the episode so let's get started for part two i wanted to start part two by saying uh this national was a huge success, uh, meeting the listeners, selling cards, buying PC cards. But I didn't realize, and this, this part gets a little bit important later on, um, I didn't realize how bad our location was um, on the floor of the national until I went um, to find Joy from Journer Sports Cards. Uh, where her booth was completely on the other side, uh, the complete opposite side from where I was, uh, where I was set up. Um, And I went to find her booth. Uh, I talked about that yesterday, but I didn't realize going there and coming back, what a poor location we had compared to um, all the other booths in the place. Uh, Now, we were supposed to have, so I, I guess you could visualize this, just just booths were, booths were supposed to be just back-to-back, two back-to-back booths going down a whole row. So essentially, as far as putting your cases out, you would have three sides of the booth to sell, and you would have the other booth at your back, right? So the fourth side, each each booth would have three sides open to, to the public, and, and you would be back-to-back with them. So where we were set up, uh, apparently it was two booths and then it was changed last minute to four booths. So we only ended up with two sides on that. And I didn't really understand why at first, but after I got there, I realized they were just putting booths in, uh, where they could. Um, so I realized coming back to our booth that we were so tucked away from the you know, in the fur- furthest corner buried in the corporate section. So many, a lot of people who are coming to me, 
you know, they didn't really find me until Friday or Saturday saying I've been walking this show for two days. You guys were so hard to find back here. Um, but I was glad I, I had an outreach to tell people, you know, where, where the booth and to have people come look for me because people may have never found me back there uh, where our booth was. Um, most people showed up hot and sweaty saying how hot you know, it was out there. And when I did go out there, walking out there, it was, it was incredibly hot out there, but where our booth was situated in corporate, it was pretty cool. I mean, the air conditioners were going back there. We had a carpeted floor back there. Uh, and we were right across, um, from Beckett. So if you were to come to get in line to have a card graded at Beckett, you'd be looking at me and, and our, you know, my cases, we were, it was like five feet from, from where that line was. So a lot of people that came there to line up, they, they, while they were standing in line, they were looking, you know, at our table, looking at our cases and things like that. But as far as being in the mainstream where all these tables were, or there were four booths just dropped right on one end of the corporate section, which was really kind of unusual because we were the only ones in that area, our little group, we were the only ones actually selling cards, right? Now, there were two more tables going back towards the doors to go out and then down the other end in corporate because there were mostly these, these big areas, big displays of, of things being shown. So people who are going back there to look for that stuff, you know, they would find us. But if you were just walking the floor, most of the floor of the national, and you were going booth to booth to booth, you would have never found us unless you were actually coming to look for us or you were over in the corporate area. Um, so I say this because even as far away from the traditional national tables. We still killed it. I killed it. Uh, I've wondered that if our booth was more mainstream, would I have sold more, right? More than 75% of my inventory that I sold? Or would I have sold less? Because I felt those rooms were so crowded out there that, I mean, what I witnessed was like three deep at tables. So, would it have been an issue that people may not have even been able to see what I had and just continued to walk by? And we're talking about um, an area that was 30% bigger than last year, 30% bigger than last year, and still had, th on Saturday, still had three deep uh, at tables. Now, we were crowded on Saturday, but we weren't any more crowded uh, at our booth than we were uh, Thursday or Friday. Um, I think it was the same level of people, same amount of crowdedness, if that's the word I can use, um, where even if there were people at the table, somebody could look over somebody's shoulder or look around somebody and still see what we had in the case versus when I went out on the floor, I was, and, and I've talked about it in early, earlier seasons that I can't, I can't take, I can't push my way or stand in that crowd and stand two and three deep and wait my turn to get into a table. It just drives me insane um, that I would just, just as soon leave and come back in the last, you know, hour of the day when there was no crowds or I wouldn't have been able to stand in those lines. So um, 
being where we were, I would have been able to do that all day long. And I would have searched for tables like mine, just, just more casually, uh, being able to shop. So, so I wonder, you know, I, I know we killed it. I killed it, but I just wonder, would it have been a better, would it have been worse? Um, you know, last year in Atlantic city, we were on, we were right by the front doors and right by the main, uh, main area. And I just remember it being insanely busy, but being at the front doors, um, people push back by you quickly. Um, in this case, we were so far at the back. It took, I, I talked about it yesterday. It probably took an hour, at least a half an hour, maybe 40 minutes into the show before people started making their way back there, unless they were getting cards graded. If they were getting cards graded at Beckett, they were running. People were running to get into that line, sprinting to get to that line first, to get in line to, uh, to submit cards. Um, on Saturday, I packed up an hour early, you know, to go hit a few booths. Um, at the end of the day, I figured I, you know, it's not going to be as crowded. There was a couple booths I wanted to see one being the Zion case booth. Um, I had, I bought a, uh, the backpack, uh, you know, the, the Zion backpack with the case inside uh, when I was going to the Toronto Expo. And I had a problem with the zipper and I just wanted to go to talk to somebody over there about it. Uh, and they were pretty close when I when I figured out what booth number they were. They, they had sent me an email that day saying, hey, if you're if you're at the National today, uh, here's a 20 percent off coupon. Come see us at booth, blah, blah, which worked out perfect because I had been looking for a book. To, to, to figure out what booth they were. So when I got that email, I said, okay, that worked perfect. And then when I realized where we were, they were pretty close by. We were 2117. They were like 3127 or something like that. So they were pretty close by. It still took me like 10 minutes trying to figure out where they were, you know, walking over there and, and, and looking at the, the signs hanging up top and to figure out where they were. Um, and I thought to myself, all week long, uh, if I told a thousand people or fifteen hundred people our booth number, that's all they asked all the time. What booth number is this? What booth number is this? One because they were trying to figure out if they were close to what they were looking for. Two, they wanted to remember it so they could come back because they saw something they liked. Or three, they wanted to message one of their friends and say, "Hey, like there's this, you know, Joe Burrow RPA or something here. You know, if you want to come check it out, it's at this booth. You know, I, I, my suggestion would be." Next year, let's just put numbers on the booths. You know, let's just put a number somewhere. So when somebody's coming by, how hard could it be, right? So somebody's coming by, even if you put it on the floor, on the table, put it up behind you, or just put a something on each booth, just so we know what booths they were are. So people don't have to come keep asking all the time. I remember in Atlantic City um, last year that the booth number was behind us, uh, but I think that may have been. Our, the, pe the people that were in the booth or owned our booth put that sign up themselves and probably because they were tired of saying their booth number all the time and hope people would just see it and it would be one less thing you would have to tell so many people. I mean, there's so much conversation going on all day long. It's just one more thing that you know, one more question you have to answer that just becomes monotonous after the first couple hours of the show. Uh, deals, some deals I made besides my Trinity Rodman cards. I talked about yesterday. I really didn't pick up much more. Uh, I picked up a Katarina Macario. It's an onyx. It was numbered to 75. I will 
quickly. Um, if you're on YouTube, I will show you these cards. Um, so that one is that one there. Um, and that actually came up to my table. I bought that card. I bought a Rose Lavelle um, Immaculate Auto 249. I will hold that one up. That was a really cool card. I was happy to have that. She's not she's not one of the people on the U.S. team that people are really crazy about, but it was still a really nice card. Um, I was gifted a Lisa Leslie card. It's a game-used patch. And I was also gifted um, a Katarina Macario upper deck all world card. So besides the other uh, Trinity Rodman cards I talked about yesterday, um, those were my pickups. Um, and it was much different than last year. You know, everyone coming to the table uh, was trying to sell me football. I looked at all the cards and politely declined. Most were either very low end or very high end. But all the cards I would have bought, you know, coming to my table, because in my mind, I, I was talking about that, being able to turn cards over, uh, you know, like I was doing last year. Uh, they were all bought before they ever got to my table. So talking about our location at the beginning, uh, all those cards, when people are coming in and they're selling cards, they're right into the mainstream. And if they're, if they're cards that I was picking up all the cards I was picking up and, and holding for, to bring, to bring with me to Chicago, those cards were showing up at my table. The price was right. I would have been buying them because those were the cards I knew I would be selling, but those cards never made it to my table. We were so far tucked away in the back that by the time people reached me, they were coming to me with cards that I, I would say 50 or more dealers, maybe even a hundred dealers or more already had their hands on and probably said, yeah, no, I'm not interested in this. And I was like their last ditch effort. So you know, I thought about uh, even even in in episode one where I was, I mean, part one, I was talking about uh, the Obechkin PMG Blue to 50 that, you know, I was really low on the card, figuring we were going to start kind of a negotiation. And he ended up kind of walking away and he came back. He said, OK. And then I kind of thought to myself, he was probably like, man, there's Nobody else is going to buy this card. I mean, at this point, if this guy doesn't buy the card, nobody's buying this card. Uh, and if he wanted the money to pick something else up, he, he just accepted the offer, right? Um, so, so that you know, that's why my pickups, when I didn't do much shopping, you know, I just talked about being very crowded, but I had a job to do. I mean, I, it's like running a little business there. I need to be at my table. Uh, and when I did leave my table, it was strategic, right? I had people telling me, hey, go to this table or go to that table. I saw this here, this, that there. Now, I, I, like everybody else, I love a good show. I would like to go table to table to table and spend all day looking in a case. But that 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 wasn't what I set out to do uh, when I go there. I mean, I love doing that. Um, but I need to be, I, I mean, you have people coming to your table all day long. I can't leave the responsibility of somebody else putting my case on a table and walking away and saying, Hey, call me, 
you know, uh, if somebody wants to buy something, I mean, that's just so unfair to the person I'm just leaving just for me just to go shopping all day. Um, so I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm doing. I need to be at my table. I need to be on top of what I'm doing and, and, you know, be selling cards and not out running around looking at cards. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, One of those things that last, I'm going to put it this way. Last year when I was in Atlantic city, we were by the front doors, right? With the, and just ton of great buying experiences because these guys were just coming through the door. We were either the first, the second or the third table that they were coming to. And, and, uh, we had a sign up saying, Hey, we're buying. And people were stopping. They were coming right up and they were putting their stuff up there. And I talked about being able to buy cards and sell them immediately because these are the cards people wanted to buy. Not once, not once in, in the whole five days at the National did one of those cards that I had in my case that I was selling showed up at my table. Not one, not, not, even, not even remotely close to that. Um, I was getting, you know, five, six, $8,000 RPAs. Um, I couldn't even I couldn't even sell a a a, a two thousand dollar RPA. Um, I wasn't about to start investing or trading a bunch of my liquid cards, right, to get into a big card that is probably stale, stale for them, or just too expensive for anybody to buy. Or you know, even if you're going to buy it, I mean, where are the comps going to be? I talked about you know, on these really expensive cards, people want $500, $1,000 off. If I'm, if I'm going to start buying these cards, I, you know, I, I'm going to need to hold out and get a particular price for these cards, right? Uh, that makes sense for me. So uh, yeah, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy to buy those, those, you know, big cards that I need to, you know, put a lot of capital out. And especially, you know, even know at the, the time you become cash heavy quick, but people they're like, Hey, you know, I'll take, uh, you know, your, your Mahomes and your, and, and, you know, and your burrow and all this stuff. And, you know, I want to, you know, trade you a Josh Allen or something like that. I mean, it just, just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to do that. I'd rather hold on to the cards. I bought, I bought these cards, you know, because I knew they were liquid and I like these cards too. So there's no sense me giving them all the way to a card that I'm hoping I'm going to make some profit on when I already have profit sitting right here in front of me. Um, so the buying experience um, for me wasn't there, but, and that has a lot to do with our positioning, you know, where, where, where our booth was there. Um, even on my, even on my bigger cards that didn't sell, um, people wanted to do trade in cash. And a lot of the cards that were coming uh, were just stale cards. I mean, I I can smell a stale card from a mile away. I've been do, doing this long enough to know what a stale card looks like. Uh, and, and, you know... I, I've been doing the same thing. You know, I go to shows and I'm like, Hey, you want to trade? This is what I have, you know, and usually I'm pulling out all my stale cards. Hopefully something, something, you know, catches somebody's eye. Right. So, uh, this time, this national, I left Chicago with all my two K plus cards. Didn't sell any of those. Nobody, 
Uh, and the people who were interested in those, like, you know, a $3,000 or a $3,400 card, you know, a $3,000 card, people were coming in at $2,200, $2,300, you know, on a, on a $3,400 card, they're coming in at $2,600, $2,700. I mean, at that rate, I just keep the card. Right. And they're, oh, well, you know, you want to get 34 for it. Well, I've got, you know, I could give you a thousand dollars in trade or whatever. And then, but it's, 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 it's still stale cards. I mean, if you're coming in with a thousand dollars of liquid cards that I can drop in my case, a hundred percent, I'm taking this deal all day long, but I, I, I can't do it with stale cards. Uh, I still have the Patrick Mahomes, the rookie optic optic lime green, the PSA nine. I had that card priced at $1,900. Um, and when asked for my best price, I told everybody $1,700. And even though the last comp uh, on this card, well, there was one comp at just, I think it was like 1195 and there was another comp at 1350. You know, everyone saw that and immediately they're like, oh, this should be a $900 card, you know, at, at a show like this. Um, but most people that showed up said, oh, man, there's a lime green. That's the first one I've seen. I haven't seen one at anywhere else at this show. Right. And and I knew when I bought this card, uh, it took me a long time. Uh, I, I just like this card and I wanted to own one of these cards. It didn't need to own it to hold it to PC it but I just wanted to own one of these cards. And I looked and looked and looked and I finally found one at a decent price and I made the deal and I got it. Um, and I know it took me months to find one reasonably priced. And I told everybody that asked, you know, on this card, why is it so much? And I said, it comes down to rarity and scarcity. Um, and anything less than $1,700, I'm just happy to keep holding on to this card. Um, I, I know... When I go to shows, I, and I, you know, I go to all the shows. I don't see this card at any shows. I go to shows. I never see this card at shows. Um, you don't really see it come up online that much. So it's one of those cards that everybody asked about price-wise. And I could, no, I could see it. They came up. They were, got the phone out. They got the alt app. They're taking pictures of it. They're looking it up. And they're like, wow, you're really high on that card. And I said, well, maybe I am, but. Again, it comes down to rarity and scarcity. It, did you see any other ones in the room? Because most people that came here said this is the first one they've seen all day. And most people agreed, yeah, it's, it's not a card you see often, you know, out, out, out in, the, in, in the case. Uh, I'm also going home with uh, two Joe Burrows, or I came home with two Joe Burrow cards. Uh, and these cards had no recent comps, right? I felt they were fairly priced. But people were really trying to convince me that I should be selling these for cheaper. Well, of course, I guess when you are trying to buy, you try to be as convincing as possible. And some people really had some good, you know, they they came, they had some good points, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I was willing to keep them. Uh, when I made the deals to purchase these cards, one's the... Uh, the XRC Auto number, the Joe Burrow XRC Auto number to 49, the PSA 9 Auto 10. I mean, that's a pop eight. This is the card I picked up at Chantilly. And I got a, I got a really good deal on this card. I did traded card plus cash to get into this card. Um, and the other one was the Rookie Optic Red Stars. And that has a pop 16. Uh, and when I 
I did trade plus cash for that card too. I got a really good deal. So here's two cards I got a really good deal on. But then I figured out why I got a good deal on these cards. You know, I made great de great deals, but I realize now that these cards really have no recent comps and they're so much harder to move to flippers, right? That somebody wants to buy this card and flip it. So when there's no recent comps on this card, it makes it much harder for them, you know, to say, hey, if the value is this or that. So they're willing to come in and say, you know, uh, you're asking three. I mean, I can offer you 2K for it or 2100 because that's all that makes sense to them. I mean, the 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 the, the Joe Burrow XRC PSA 10 sells for $2,000. So where would we put the XRC auto numbered 49? PSA nine auto 10, where, where would that fall in? You're saying, you're saying that's only worth a hundred dollars more than the XRC silver PSA 10. It, it, it's, it's insane to even think that. Um, but if a true borough collector came up, they would be happy to have either one of these cards. Right. But I understand, uh, that it's hard to buy this card and flip this card because this, this is what I'm doing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being negative about a flipper, right? I'm not saying, oh, flippers are bad or any, I'm not putting them down at all. I'm just saying for somebody that wants to buy this card and go take it back to their table or go to another table and try to flip this card, everybody else is going to say same thing. It's like, well, the last comp on this was a year and a half ago and it was $2,000, you know, is probably worth, and it's, a, it's harder to move that card. Um, that's why all the other boroughs I had, I think eight or nine other boroughs, they all sold lickety split, 90% comps, boom, plenty of sales. They looked it up. They could see what the comps were. Last comp was 650, 675. I got the card marked at 670, you know, where you take 650 or 640. Perfect. Bang. I mean, there's comps on there. They can get it. Now they can take that card. They can run back to their table and put the you know, try or, or run to another table and try to get, you know, make 10, 15 or $20 or whatever they're going to make on that card. Right. Because I didn't see anybody in there ready to pay a hundred percent comps on anything. Um, so that's why they, they sold so fast because they're able to, you know, identify all the public sales and just turn it over as fast as they can. These, these low pop, no public sales, those cards are hard to move. And I understand and I realize now why I got such good deals on them. Because somebody is probably before me was probably sitting on this card for a few months and, and probably trying to sell it at shows and whatever and just couldn't get it moved. Could just just couldn't get it moved. I, I had a guy walk up to me. I I I also went I also went home with the Trevor Lawrence um XRC PSA 10. Uh it was on Sunday. And, uh, it, it was, you know, an hour before a closing time. And at that point it was kind of turning into a ghost town. There was like really nobody back there. Um, Beckett had already shut down. Um, and people were kind of starting to pack their stuff up. And, uh, I went, I went over to talk to, I went out, out of the booth to talk to somebody. And, um, the guy who was in the booth called me up and said, Hey, you got a guy here wants to buy your, uh, um, your XRC. And I'm like, okay, I'll be right back. So I ran over and he said, Oh, is this your stuff? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, he said today I bought five of these, you know, 
Trevor Lawrence, XRC, PSA 10s. And I had mine valued at 1800. I had it stickered at 1800. The last comps were 1600 on it. Uh, and I was willing to go 1600 on it. You know, at that point, I was certainly would have gone it. But then he said to me, I bought five of these today for $1,100. And I'd like you to make it a sixth for me. And I said, man, if I could buy them at $1,100, I'd be out buying them as, as many as I can. I can't imagine there was five people in this room that sold you that card at $1,100. I said, can I see all the cards? Because, oh, oh, I don't have them on me now. And I said, okay, thought so. All right, have a nice day, right? I mean, just some of the stuff people will come up and say. And, and you know, if I, if I bought five of those at a show one day, I'd have them all on me, right? I They'd be right, right in my case uh, walking around. So uh, I noticed my pop culture cards were selling well. Uh, and this is the kind of show that pop culture stuff is 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 going to sell, you know, because you get people from not all, all over the United States, but all over the world coming in. Uh, my first sale uh, on Wednesday evening were for a number of pop cultures from from a gentleman from China. He had just flew in. Uh, he was here, at, you know got right in on the VIP and he was out shopping and that's what he was buying a ton of pop culture. And he bought a, a ton from me and, and, and that the pop culture was selling well and people were really excited about him having great conversations with people about different cards, different pop culture cards. You know, it, 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 it truly is fun to sell those cards. Um, I had a discount box uh, with a variety of pop culture cards that included a bunch of music cards. Now, um, you know, if you remember, uh, back in the fall, early winter, I graded like 75 music cards and I sold most of them. And then I still had, you know, maybe 25 or 30 cards that were, you know, just, just never did sell. I put them up, up on eBay. They didn't sell on eBay. I put them in a discount box for $25 each. And the last few shows I put it out there, people kind of thumb through them. Nobody's maybe sell one here or there. Uh, so late in the day on Thursday, um, I had sold so much of the pop culture. And in that case, uh, it made no sense to put anything else there. Um, so I had empty spots. So I said, you know what, let me grab this um, discount box. And I pulled like, you know, five or six music cards out and I threw a $40 price sticker price on them. And, and I dropped them in the, you know, in the bottom row of the case, um, within hours, they all sold between 30 and $40. Now these had been sitting in a discount box here for a day and a half. Right. And at the last three or four shows I'd been at had been sitting in a discount box and never selling any of them. And they all sold like between 30 and $40. So I pulled that discount box down all together and I pulled out more music cards. I just kept replacing it, dropping them in there. Same thing, 40, 40, 40. Um, and I sold a ton of those. I mean, I probably sold 15, 18 of those cards. And I realized um, it was a lesson that I learned. I just realized the psychology of a card being in a showcase. I mean, I think it's just making it more valuable and more attractive to a customer than being in a discount box on a box labeled, you know, discount box. You know, maybe they 
you know, the psychology says if it's a discount box, there's just crap in that box and I'm not even going to look in it or I refuse to buy anything out of it. But now I've moved these cars from a discount box into a showcase and now they were selling. It could have been just the show. It could have been that, you know, the pop culture stuff was selling that the people, you know, they were able to see it better versus trying to get up and thumb through a discount box because I don't thumb through discount boxes. Um, it's just not something I do. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a lesson learned there. Um, no more, no more discount slab boxes that I, and I know for, I set up with Rob sports car therapist all the time. And, you know, he, he, he makes a fortune on these, these discount boxes. You know, he, he's great talking to people. He makes these discount boxes. He puts them out there and he starts telling everybody at the show, buy the whole box, strap it to your back, take it away, make me an offer. And before I know it, I look over, I'm like, where's your box? Cause ah, they bought the whole box. It's gone. Um, so, you know, I, I, I felt that was a valuable thing, but maybe, maybe I don't have that gift of, you know, calling people in to, you know, convince them to buy the whole box, but I think I'm just going to get rid of it and just any discounts I have, I'll, I'll mark them up a little and just drop them in the showcase. Thursday night, we did a Wolfpack family dinner uh, at Gibson Steakhouse. Something I was looking forward to since the day we made the reservation. And let me tell you, it did not disappoint. Hands down, the best steak I've ever eaten at a restaurant. And I've eaten at some world famous places. Um, and FYI, I ordered the same steak at Carmine's. We, I went to Carmine's with Carmine on Sunday night after the show uh, in Rosemont. And it was probably the worst steak I ever ate. Uh, and I don't know if it's because Gibson's raised the bar uh, and and we weren't able to get back into Gibson's. They were uh, they were uh, they were booked for the night. Uh, but yeah, definitely Gibson's uh, best steak I ha ever had in a restaurant. So we get in, we get seated, we get our drinks and uh, who walks by is Emmett Smith. Right. And of course, I'm sitting with the cousins who are Philly fans. I'm sitting with Rob, sports card therapist. He's a giant fan. Uh, I think they're ready to boo him, right? They're just so automatically, you know, Dallas haters that they're getting ready to boo. <laughs> I said, no booing. No, 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 don't boo, right? Um, a few minutes later, Warren Sapp walks by. I'm like, come on, man, what a night. What a night. This, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know, the atmosphere, the meal, the great company, you know, it's these once in a lifetime experiences that we never forget. We will all do this again at every national. I'm sure we will have a family dinner at every national, but this night, this night was truly special, truly special. Um, I look forward to doing it again. I really do. So at the end of six months, was it a great lesson plan that I put together? I did con continue to adjust it, but I did stick to my plan with football. I bought when everyone was selling low and I sold when everyone was buying high. I stayed at the price point. 
I saw that was trending at all the shows leading up to national. So if you remember at the very beginning, I said, we can go back to, I think it was the first or second episode of the year. I said in my mind that, you know, I wanted to get these RPAs that were up to 3000 and 3,500 and that's what I wanted. And then I saw this trend that the sweet spot was definitely like this 15, $1,800 and below. I mean, that's seemed to what was be selling the most. So I changed up that plan. Um, so did it work? Oh yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That plan I put, I put together worked. that plan works so well. That plan worked so well that I won't have to come out of pocket for the hobby. I've built up enough hobby capital over this last year to be hobby self-sufficient. That was my, that was the ultimate goal. It's just to be hobby self-sufficient to, to let this, this part that I, I had so much fun doing pay for itself. Right. You know, while using the profits made at, at the shows, right. I could use that to pay for the, the tables and the supplies and then what to fund my PC. Right. Um, it was a great six months. It was a great learning experience. It was a great journey. Um, I'm so happy that I was able to share it with you guys. I'm so happy you guys were along for the ride with me. And, and you know, all the comments coming in about, you know, the plan and the lessons and the, you know, just, I love it. I love it. I just felt like we were all, even though it was me, I just felt like we were all in this together. You know, and, and as a former teacher, when, you know, you, you, you build a lesson plan, you put it together, you hope it works and you put it out there when it's successful and not only successful for yourself, but successful for all the students. Right. It's it, there's nothing better than that. And 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 I, I hope that, you know, the things that I learned on my journey is able to help, you know, you guys out. Uh, that's my goal here. Thursday's episode will be the Wolfpack National Recap. So I'm looking forward to uh, to doing that. And uh, I think that's going to be a really special episode. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And if you like what you hear, please like, definitely subscribe. And most importantly, tell a friend and spread the word. And until next time, take care of yourselves and everyone around you. <laughs>